with virtually limitless design options, Pella's like your personal barista for windows and doors. Customize your order by August 31st and you can bundle and save big at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Get started today at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. And as a quick reminder... We now live stream every program, so you can simply watch us while we're doing Spoken Word Radio as well. If you want to see Eric Bilstad in his stylish blue golf shirt, um, it, it's up there. And for me today, it's it's Real Men Wear Pink. You know, it looks I, nice. I, thank you. It well, nice. that's, it is. This is, again, another product of, of my wife. Fran dresses me and stuff. But yes, this is my my one of my pink golf shirts and stuff, and I like it quite a bit. So you you can check it out. And, you know, I, I think we've got some of our listeners who are like informal, like clothing raiders and stuff. And it's, oh, I see you're wearing, you know, that short sleeve shirt. And yesterday I had a suit on and things, things. So you can check that out if you want to see what we look like or you want to see what you're wearing. In addition to listening to the program, you can check us out. Um, you can go to WTMJ.com, click on either the Listen Live or the Watch Live button, or go to our YouTube channel. But however you find us, we appreciate it a great deal. All right, let us get started. Started. So as I mentioned this a minute ago, yesterday I was at the uh, the baseball game. I have a 20-pack that I share with my very close friend, and we were at the ball game. And it was actually, it, it was a great game. Um, this was not one of these games that were over in two hours and ten minutes, but it, it lasted like th- well over three hours. But it was a close game all around. The Brewers took the lead two to nothing. Baltimore came back and tied it. Then uh, Baltimore went ahead, I want to say like in the seventh inning, three to two. Brewers came back, scored a run in the eighth inning, and, and the game went into you know extra innings. And uh, the Brewers ended up winning four to three. Very, very good game. So we're sitting in our seats, which are about 19 rows behind home plate. And behind us, there's there's two guys, and I'm bad with ages, but I would say mid to late 20s. I mean, these aren't, these weren't teenagers. They were mid to late 20s. And um, it was. This happens at baseball games once in a while. I guess my, my general attitude is: you you pay your money, you can do what you want. They really weren't watching the game. They were just having a conversation. That you know, it was like two guys were there to to kind of drink beer and to talk to each other. And the, the game was going on in, in the background, and so they, they pretty much chattered the entire game, and that 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 was fine. And, but you know, when they're right behind you, you cannot help but but overhear the conversation. You're not trying to be rude, but you're kind of listening. They were talking about how they had apparently gone with a group to Europe, and they were talking about the places they've been in Europe, and they were talking about women that they knew, and they were talking a little bit about their jobs and things like that. And 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 that that's all well and good. I mean, it wasn't annoying or anything. It was just kind of like, hey, you just. Spent a bunch of money to get these tickets. You'd think you'd watch the game, but I but I digress. But what struck me is for both of them, but particularly the guy that was behind me, there was one word that was used repeatedly, and and that was the F word. And, and I, I, these were these were obviously educated people. They were obviously, I believe, young professionals, but every third word, and I'm not exaggerating because at one point in time, I started counting on my fingers 
the number of times this this one guy used that particular word in in the space of of sixty seconds. I actually was kind of like looking at my watch. My buddy says, "What are you looking at your watch for?" I said, well, I'm, ca- "I'm counting the number of times this guy says you know what." And the the word was used as a noun. It was used as a verb. It was used as an adjective. It was used as what I believe was an adverb as as well. And then it was used in a couple contexts that I have no clue, you know, how it was just kind of like stuck in there. But if if I say every third word, you might say I'm exaggerating and maybe slightly because, again, I'm not kidding. I counted. I put the watch on it and I'm looking and I counted this guy using that word in the space of 60 seconds. Now, it was just admittedly it was the 60 seconds that I I did, but I, I counted it six times. Six times in a conversation with somebody else in a minute. So you can imagine what it's like. Now, this, sometimes I see this and, you know, the people are loud and they're yelling it out and stuff like that. And there's kids around. This wasn't anything like that. There, there weren't. There weren't kids, so it wasn't like, hey, you know, buddy, can you tone it down because of this? And it wasn't like they were screaming it at the top of their lungs, you know, where you'd call an usher. It was just, it was part of this. It was part of their everyday conversation. And I'm not a prude. I'm really not. And I acknowledge that from time to time, that word slips into my vocabulary. But generally speaking, if I'm going to do it, it's in my personal life, obviously not my professional life. It's going to be because I feel strongly about something and I want to have a particular impact and I kind of consider it. It's not just like it's part of my everyday conversation um, where, again, some people say, um, this guy was saying that particular word. And I'm listening to this, and I did not get involved because it, at the end of the day, I appreciate it. it's not my business. And like I say, there, there weren't kids around, and I wasn't particularly offended. I was just noticing this, and I really wanted to turn around and say, do you know how you sound? <laughs> and, and, and because I got to believe that this this is just the way this guy goes through life. And how how you are perceived in this world does depend in part, fairly or unfairly, on how you present yourself. That's just the reality. And I'm trying to imagine like a, a workplace setting or something, and you, you have this, this guy who's there, and uh, presuming that his workplace conversation at least mirrors in some way, shape, or form his out-of-work conversation, I'm thinking, you know, at some point in time, don't you realize how this sounds? But then I've been thinking about that since this happened, and I'm thinking, well, maybe maybe it doesn't make any difference anymore. And maybe, for example, all the, these rules that the FCC has about what we can say and what we can't say on the radio and, you know, what can be on television or not, maybe that's completely and totally outmoded. And maybe we should just do away with that because if, if, if this is now this commonplace word that finds itself into the English language and that everybody is saying this and everybody is saying constantly and it's using it in all these different capacities, maybe it, it doesn't you know, should we have these rules or anything like that? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I, I guess my question is, have you – I don't think this was an aberration. This might have been an extreme example of it. But as I go through life, I am amazed at, at how often vulgarities, in particularly words that you just you, – you wouldn't say in front of your parents – how how often they just find their way into everyday conversation. And 
uh, like like I say, it, it's not like I'm going to call an usher and say, can you make this guy stop saying that particular word? That, that wasn't it. I was just thinking, boy, I, I wonder, you know, going through life, is this just now the new normal in America in, in 2023 that language that we would not have used in public is now used on a regular basis? 855-616-1620. Have you noticed that? And is is this just where we are now? Like I say, I wasn't going to confront the guy about it. I wasn't particularly offended. I was just struck by the fact that he could not construct a sentence without using that particular word sometimes two or three times in that sentence. 855-616-1620. We discuss. One of our texters says, I'm in, I'm in construction, and unfortunately that word gets used as an adjective, a noun, a verb in most conversations. But people really have to learn how to turn it on and off. I would never use that word in a public setting, especially at a baseball game, because of all the children around me. Just my two cents. And, and, and like I say, there, there weren't necessarily kids around us. I have. And matter of fact, one of the last baseball games I was at, it was the Dodgers game. And I had I, I, I traded in our tickets from another game. So we were sitting on the third base. And we're sitting among all these different Dodgers fans. And there were some millennials behind me who were screaming out all sorts of obscenities at the players and stuff. And they were very loud about it. And and that was one where I did kind of turn around and just I pointed to the children that were sitting in front of me and I kind of shrugged my shoulders. And they, they, they actually they, they kind of toned it down a little. I mean, it wasn't going to be confrontational. But what really just struck me about last night's is it was just part of this guy's everyday conversation. And he, he struck me as a sort of a, a young wannabe kind of professional guy. And one of our texters says, was he drunk? No, it wasn't that. It was just you're sitting there with your buddy, you're having this conversation, and you can't have a sentence without using vulgarities, in particular that one word, two or three times. Let's talk to um, Adam in Waukesha. Adam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Yeah, this is really frustrating. My wife's real conservative, and it drives her nuts. We have a number of adult children now in their 30s, and they all have bachelor's degrees. One of the two of them have advanced degrees, both in medical related fields. And our son is the only one who I can honestly say I haven't heard him drop the F-bomb in a couple of years when we see him. And I think it's because he works in a corporate environment where he does have client contact, some of it internationally. Right. And he would not want to get caught doing that. But our, our daughters, they talk like drunken sailors all the time, including in front, including in front of my mom, who's 92 years old. And I call them out on it. We're eating lunch on a Sunday, and they drop the f bomb. And one of our daughters just doesn't even think second about it. I mean, and I yell at her right in front of the family. And what does she say she when, when you confront her? What do you, when you say, yeah, "Come on, you know, what, what are you doing? What, what does she say to that?" And I, and I just say, stop using that word. And she just kind of like blows it off like, yeah, it's just the way I talk. You know that. Well, no, it's not supposed to be. And she's got a master's degree. <laughs> I just. Uh, and it, yeah. it's irritating. And my wife is conservative more than I am Catholic. And she's like, she drives her nuts. And, and I don't know why they do it. They just, I think it's, I think a lot of it might have to do with how they have to act in a professional environment for fear of getting fired. I think that has a lot to do with it. And yeah. our son, I, I literally, he's, he's our youngest, and I've never heard mm-hmm. him drop the F-bomb. In, in right. In, in, well, I mean, think, or, or maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, I, there's, there is no way that I would have 
used that word in certainly in front of my mother and, and definitely in in front of my grandmother. I mean, it just it wouldn't have occurred to me to, to do that. I I, I love the line at your line, Adam. But my it's my daughters that swear like drunken sailors. Actually, a couple of texters are kind of making that point. They say, you know, you're talking about guys that listen to the language that's coming out of the mouths of young women nowadays. That's that's really the kind of the education. You think you heard it a lot from these guys. If those were two similarly aged young women, you you would have been hearing even more. And it and you know, and again, I'm not prude about it. I'm just struck by the fact that this this is something that, yes, I mean, have, have people always use this word, of course, absolutely. But now everybody says it. Everybody says it everywhere. And there's, there's no thought, oh, there's a bunch of kids around. Well, I don't, I don't care. And so, you know, if, if you grow up, you know, you start hearing that from from mom and dad or from, you know, the aunt, your aunts and uncles. Well, it's probably not a surprise if you're using that word yourself when you're nine or 10 years old. Let's talk to Ron in Greenfield. Ron, you're on WTFJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, you're right about the, the usage of that language. It's, it's everywhere. Everywhere you go, and it's embarrassing. It kind of tells about the intelligence of that person. Well, but, but that, um, you know, I mean, we, we say that, but, but at the same time, I, I mean, there, there's lots of intelligent, quote-unquote, educated people, and, and that, that's just a part of, of their vocabulary. It's gotten to be the new normal, and I guess I just don't know how it became the new normal. Yeah, and, and the other word that's used a lot is like. Yeah. Every third word is like, and you hear it on The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. It's annoying after a while. Yeah, I mean, thanks. I mean, that's just, that's a that is a verbal crutch, and 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 yes, you you notice that we all have our verbal crutches that we we use. But it's one thing to have a, a verbal crutch, like you say, like all the time, you know, like this or like that. It, it's a different thing when your verbal crutch is the f word. <laughs> that's, and I guess again, I I don't know what to do, and and I wasn't going to confront these guys except just as. I, I don't know. You don't want to come across as like, you know, the older brother or the dad or grandpa because it's not – I mean, I don't know these guys. But you, I just – I wanted to turn around and say, do you know how you sound to the world? And you seem like really nice guys and stuff. But if this if this is how you go through life, um, it, it's if this is how you present yourself, it is at some point in time going to have an impact. And, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe people don't care about this. Maybe this is just the, the new normal. And if you're you're not – Using that, I mean, I, I've talked about this in a different context. I told the story about um, time before last when we were in Las Vegas. We went to a, a comedy club um, that was in the MGM, and they had, they had three different comedians on. And I swear I'm not exaggerating. That that word, again, was used in every sentence. It wasn't like the punchline of a joke. It was just th- this – it was used as if you would say like or whatever is the verbal crutch. And, and after a while, it was kind of like – Okay, I don't think I'm approved, but I'm I'm done with this. I I don't want to hear. I don't need to hear all this gratuitous obscenity over and over and over again. I'm paying to be amused. I'm paying you to be creative. Come up with some funny stuff. Just simply saying this word or that word over and over and over again just doesn't get you anywhere. Bill in Racine County. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, good to hear your voice. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I'm a former MPS teacher, and I've got two letters for you. One starts with F, and one starts with N, mm-hmm. and they all need to stop, Yep, both of them. 
Uh, it's unintelligent. It's it's stupid. It's volatile. Just yeah. shut it off and be done with it. Yeah. And you don't need we're it. We're no. going to come to a point. We're going to come to a point when other people see and hear people expressing themselves that way, and we're going to say they're going to turn around. They're going to walk away. Forget it. Don't talk to me like that. Yeah. This, this is unacceptable. Yeah, Bill. Thank, thanks for calling. Well, I I I would think that. But it, it, this whole thing is becoming again. It's just so commonplace, and I always, I always lead this. I'm not a prude. I'm, I, I've heard that word. I am not offended particularly by the word, unless you're shouting it out and there's children around and things like that. But, but it's one thing to use the word if you're trying to emphasize a point or something like that, and you pick and choose. It's another thing if you just decide, okay, this is going to be. My my default position, and I just just if you're in a situation like this, just do what I did last night. Just look at your watch. Say, okay, I'm going to be curious as to how many times in a 60 second span this guy behind me you know uses that particular word, and then, but he's probably not unique. We're being swamped with texts on this topic, which I kind of anticipated. Jeff, I'm a young millennial. My generation tends to use vulgar words casually with friends, but I certainly don't use swear words in the workplace, at least not in front of management, laugh out loud. But I do think these words certainly have lost their shock value. This might be my favorite text of the lot. Jeff, my fiancé uses the F word as a verb, a noun, an adjective, etc. I can't stand it. I think it makes him sound trashy and ignorant. For impact, when he says it, I'll mock him and say it back. That's when he realizes how ridiculous he sounds. I keep telling him he needs to clean it up. Well, all right. That's, that, that's, you're, you're sending that signal before you get married. You're putting him on notice that you know he's got to clean it all up. And so if you're still doing that three or four years from now and he complains about it, he can't say he wasn't warned. Let me ask you to be honest for this next conversation. And I want you to honestly think about the, the reaction to this. There, one of our texters, I was making reference to Chris Christie announcing that the former governor of New Jersey, that he's, he's running for, for president. And one of our texters says, Jeff, besides you and me, is there anybody not running for president? That's a very good question. I mean, I'm not planning to do it, but it seems like there are a lot of people there. And that's, that, that's all well and good. I, I think... I think it leads to a spirited primary, and I know there's theories that say that, well, if you've got the split vote, Donald Trump will win. I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. But anyways, Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey, he was very successful for most of his tenure. A at the end, he had kind of worn out his welcome, and his approval ratings were low because of this, this scandal involving, like, toll bridges and things like that. But Chris Christie has... I think he did a good job. He was the former U.S. attorney for um, for New Jersey, and he, just like Rudy Giuliani, who was the um, U.S. attorney in the 80s in the, for the Southern District in New York, I mean, Chris Christie, I think, did a, he was viewed as kind of a crime-busting, you know, U.S. attorney, became the governor of New Jersey as a Republican, which is not necessarily an easy thing to do, but but again, you know, there, he was involved in controversies, and since then he has recreated himself as, as a commentator. Matter of fact, my wife she she looks forward to 
um, watching uh, the George Stephanopoulos show this week on on Sundays because you know he's one of the commentators and he's kind of got that <clears throat> he's forget kind of he's got that 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 Jersey New York edge where he's just he says what he thinks and he doesn't he, he doesn't have much of a filter and it makes it kind of entertaining and I think it's one of the things that make you in demand on the speaker circuit or makes you in demand as a as a TV contributor or something like that whether it translates into politics don't know he's spending a lot of time he's going to concentrate I think he's going to pretty much skip Iowa and he's going to concentrate on on New Hampshire um, and that that's that's sort of a risky strategy because he ran when he ran for president in 2016. He did the same thing, and he just just bombed out in New Hampshire. At the same time, his justification for that is, "Hey, look, I was coming out. I was involved in these controversies and things like that, and it was just the, the timing was bad." So that's that's kind of the background. I, I have met Chris Christie on a couple occasions. I like him personally. I think he's got an interesting background. I like where he stands on issues, and I like the fact that he is willing to take on Donald Trump in a way that a lot of candidates are a little bit reluctant to. If, if you read the things that, that he was saying yesterday, I mean, he's, he's just inviting— you know, he is inviting, you know, a, a fight with, you know, uh, Chris Christie. I mean, there's with uh, Donald Trump. He said, you know, I've watched our country over the last decade. It seems to be getting smaller and smaller, smaller in every way, smaller in the way we talk to each other, smaller in the way we look at each other, smaller in the things we talk about to each other, smaller in the issues that we care enough to get angry about. And then he says, you know, I, I, you wanted to get into this. And then, then he goes on to you know, attack Trump. I mean, yesterday in his speech, he described Trump as a lonely, <clears throat> self-consumed, self-serving mirror hog who is not a leader. There's a lot to unpack in that statement. A lonely, self-consumed, self-serving mirror hog who is not a leader. Um, let me be clear in case I have not been already. The person I am talking about, Trump, who's obsessed with the mirror, who never admits a mistake, who never admits a fault, who always finds someone else and something else to blame for whatever goes wrong, but finds every reason to take credit for anything that goes right, is Donald Trump. Okay, so, I mean, he's taking the gloves off and he's responding. So you, you've got all that going on. I think that there's a lot of people out there that are looking for somebody with with Chris Christie's bona fides, who's, who's willing to take on Trump and who's willing to be controversial and willing to be entertaining. And, and that's that's all good. There is, and, and there, there is, I was going to use the phrase elephant in the room, and I, I don't mean, I'm going to put that in quotation marks, because there is an issue with Chris Christie. And I, I was thinking about that as I was watching some of his campaign announcement. At one point in time, and, and if you can picture Chris Christie, he is extremely heavy. That, that's at one point in time, it, they, they say he weighed over 400 pounds and he had a, he had a, a surgical procedure that was done and he lost about 80 or 90 pounds. I, I don't know what he weighs now. It looks to me like he's gained some of that back, but he's extremely heavy. Um, and I, I, I'm not going to, I don't know if unhealthy, heavy, but he, he's extremely heavy. He's been, and he talks about this, he's been heavy all his life. And he, just like many people in this world, you know, have fought the battle about weight loss and stuff. And it's, it is, it is very, very hard. But if you look and you watch these videos and you see him out and about, one of the first things you look at and you say, gosh, he, he's, he's big. He, he's really big. He's heavy. Now, I was thinking back on, on our, our last several presidents. I mean, you had, you know, let, let's go back. You had, you know, you had 
Bill Clinton in the 90s. Okay, Bill Clinton, young and, and vigorous. And then after Bill Clinton, you had George Bush, young and, and vigorous. Then you had Barack Obama, young and vigorous. You had Trump. Now, Trump Trump is heavy too, but you don't necessarily get that impression when you, when you see Trump. You know, a lot of that's you know, under the, the really expensive suits and stuff like that. And I understand that, that Joe Biden, you know, we talk a lot about like the lack of, of vibrancy and stuff, and he's 80 years old. And I'm the guy that's argued that he's, he's too old to be president for, you know, another, you know, four years. Time will tell whether the voters agree with that. But Biden, Biden wasn't elected because he was vigorous. Biden was elected because he was the alternative to Trump and people didn't want Trump. But now you've got all these different choices. So let, let's be honest. Is Chris Christie too heavy to be elected by voters? Because in some respects, we are, all of us, collectively, we are a superficial lot. You know, we, we, we like young. We like vibrant. We like in shape. You know, there, there's this incredible pressure to be that. So when you see somebody like Chris Christie, who is big, and he's always been big, is that the kind of thing that, being honest, do you think it is going to cause people to say, well, I, I might otherwise be open to Chris Christie, except, man, did, did you see how much this guy weighs? 855-616-1620. Is that going to be an impediment to him? And by the way, I, I say this saying that, I, as I said at the start, I like Chris Christie. I like his ideas. I've met him. I find him to be interesting. I think he would be a good president I'm just wondering whether the optics, whether in America in 2023 and 2024, somebody who looks like Chris Christie can get elected. 855-616-1620. What do you think? He ain't heavy. He's my brother. One of our texters says, Jeff, what you're talking about is called discrimination against weight. Well, I, I, you understand the context. I'm not talking about... You know, Chris Christie applying for a, a job <clears throat> at a Walmart and being told we're going to not hire you because of your weight. I am talking about somebody running for the presidency of the United States where image matters. The way you present yourself matters. And my question, asking you to be honest, is when you have somebody who is a big guy. Um, is that is that going to be an impediment? Are there going to be people who, yeah, it's discrimination. Are there going to be people who look at him and say, I'm, I'm just, I am uncomfortable with this? I mean, you, you look at TV, look at movies. It, it, it's, yes, on occasion there are, there are people who look like us, and I'm including in me in that, that, that you see, you know, on TV. But in, in general, it, it's the, it's the well-tanned and toned stars and, and things like that. Why? Because, I don't know, there's this impression out there that we want to see people who don't necessarily look like us. We want to see the people that are really in shape and stuff like that, maybe because that's what we aspire to. But I think it's, it's a fair question to ask whether or not that is going to be impediment to voters. And I ask that question as somebody who is a Chris Christie fan. 855-616-1620. Jeff, love your show. Realizing that I am, in fact, a shallow Hal, I do think you might be onto something with weight going to be an issue um, for him. That may translate into a lot of people saying, well, it's unhealthy, and could he handle the job physically? You're right, though. We are most certainly a superficial lot. Jeff, I think it could subconsciously sway maybe a small amount of voters, 
But when comparing his weight to some of the other alternatives or other candidates, I don't think it would be a significant factor for him. Um, Yeah, well, I think there's that. Um, Jeff, I think the weight is the least of the problems. Um, The fact that he's been cheered on by liberals this week should tell you everything you need to know. He's going no place. Well, that, again, there's all sorts of candidates that are are out there, and I find Christie to be refreshing. I I also, I, I, I think he has an interesting message. My question is, is this going to be a problem for people that aren't going to be able to look past the, the optics, especially, I mean, again, go, going back to, to think about the, the whole thing, even with, with Trump. You know, Trump had, um, you, you had Trump who would come out in the, you know, $3,000 suits, and he had the, the very attractive Melania on his arm. You know, that was the look. Think about Barack and Barack o- Obama. Um, you know, you've got, uh, again, all, all that that's going on. Now, I, look, I, I get the argument that, you know, um, o- Obama, you know, people will say, well, he had a lot more going for him than, you know, than just the fact that he looked good. But it was it was this young, it was this vital look. That's what he presented. Clinton was very, very much the same way. Sue in Cedarburg. Hi, Sue. You're on WTMJ. I think it's a shame if that's how people decide they're going to vote. That man is brilliant, and he would do wonders for this country. And if they are so superficial, then go, so be it. But he is a brilliant man, mm-hmm. and if he can get his doctor to say he's physically fit, he could do circles around some of those presidents with his energy. So I disagree. Okay, well, thanks for the call. Well, I'm, and, and that's, I, I'm not, well, I, I'm, I'm just, I am saying I think this is an issue. I am not saying I think it is a disqualifying issue. I am not saying I would not vote for Chris Christie because of this. But I think it's something that you, you do have to deal with because, um, you know, image matters. One of our texters says, my ex-wife would vote for the guy she thought was the best looking. And then it's kind of like shaking my head. Um, That's it. Jeff, I too am a Chris Christie fan. However, I think he's in the race to take on Trump and open up the race for other candidates. I don't think he is there to win. That being said, his weight would not change my vote at all. Um, Jeff, I can't see how this would affect anybody. Trump presented himself horribly horribly in a different way, but he still got elected. Well, yeah, and that's that's again. You know, you're going to have a, you're going to have political scientists who are going to be writing the the story of the 2016 presidential campaign for years and years. And I'm still think that they're going to have trouble f- trying to figure out why it was that this was um, <clears throat> why it was that this ended up being an issue. Jeff, I might be different, but I look at Chris Christie and I think size is an advantage. He looks like someone who won't back down for from a, a fight. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, in, in the past, like I say, Chris Christie's physical appearance, is, is this is nothing new. He, he's always been a big guy. And for many political races, and look, you, you get elected governor of New Jersey, okay, I mean, New, New, New Jersey, getting elected New Jersey, politics, politics isn't beanbag anywhere. Politics can be nasty in Wisconsin. But in New Jersey, it's like, it is like the electoral, electoral um version of a knife fight. And and so you you know that Chris Christie has been facing this stuff all his life and in many cases he's been able to overcome it. He's been able to certainly not have a thin skin about it. So I mean I think he knows that it's an issue there. I'm just 
I, I think it's as people look and they make their decisions, a lot of the decisions are going to be based on reason things. Some are going to be based on reactions. And I'm going to be curious to see how this whole thing plays out with former Governor Christie, who I hope we'll have an opportunity to have on this program sometime over the course of the next several months. As long as we're talking about appearances, there, there are unquestionably double standards. Uh, if, if you've never seen Casey DeSantis, you, you will soon. Casey DeSantis is, of course, the wife of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is viewed as one of the leading Republican candidates for president. And right, right now there's this concerted effort, especially among the mainstream media, to try to do everything they can to, to destroy Ron DeSantis. And whether that'll work or not remains to be seen. But, but Casey DeSantis is an, a very, very interesting person in her own right. She um, bilingual, um, got a degree in economics. She is an attractive woman. I think you can say that objectively. She started her career in TV. She worked for the Golf Channel, and then she was a local newscaster and an anchor for a TV station in Jacksonville, Florida. And then she became a, a producer and produced a number of, of shows. And she's also, by the way, she's a, a breast cancer survivor. Breast cancer is in remission. And she's a very visible part of the DeSantis campaign. So they're, they're in Iowa campaigning, and she shows up. She's wearing—I'm looking at a picture of this now. She's wearing a, 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 a black kind of like leather jacket, and on the back of it, it's got a, a, a picture, a drawing of like the state of Florida, and it says, where woke goes to die. Okay, so it's kind of like an in-your-face sort of statement, um, similar to what Melania Trump did a few years ago when she was wearing this jacket that said, like, like I care. It's been very interesting about the reaction of, of the left, though, to Casey DeSantis. Um, the Daily Beast describes her as wearing a ghastly black leather jacket that brings to mind nothing so much as the racks of a red state big bin store where it would be retailing for $24.99. And now the, the, the left of the Internet wing is saying that she's the Walmart Melania. That, that's, and, and so that's how, you know, if you talk about like appearances and stuff, you would never, and it is interesting, the double standard, because if somebody tried to describe a, a, a female, the wife, the wife of a political candidate on the left, and try to use, well, she's the Walmart Melania. Can you imagine the degree of outrage that would be out there? But because, in this case, it's the wife of a conservative politician, well, then, it, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, she's, she's the Walmart Melania. It's just the double standards are sometimes just staggering. I don't think this kind of criticism bothers her. And just Chris Christie, like Chris Christie, I don't think is bothered by you know, people who talk about his weight. I don't think she's going to be bothered about, you know, what some people on the left say about how she dresses. Matter of fact, my guess is it's going to embolden her even more. When we come back, they got fired. I'll tell you what they did. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Well, that is a bummer. The Iron Sheik passed away. For I, I, I know more about this. There was They just on... Um, a&E, I think, just ran a, a big one-hour special, two-hour special on, on the Iron Sheik. Now, I, I understand that for many people, professional wrestling is this, well, we know Hulk Hogan maybe, and, and, but, but for a lot of us who, like, grew up 
you know, watching professional wrestling, um, you, you see that you hear about the passing of some of these these different performers. And I, I've told the story before. I, I come I come to my interest in uh, in, in professional wrestling. Um, honestly, my grandmother to her dying day, refused to believe that the results were predetermined. We don't say fake because when these guys are taking falls off the <laughs> from the top rope and stuff like that and damaging their body. That That's real. But the, they play characters. The roles are – but you could never convince my grandmother that. Anyhow, the, the, the Iron Sheik, it's a really, really interesting story. And he, he passed away in the last day or so at the age of, of 81. But the guy, he was born in, in Iran and was an amateur wrestler – who was on the Iranian Olympic team. He went on to serve as a bodyguard for the Shah of Iran for for several years. And, of course, the Shah of Iran was was ultimately overthrown. Well, what happens is he comes to the United States hoping to be a— to, to work on, on coaching like the U.S. Olympics team and, and things like that because he was a very accomplished professional wrestler, an uh, amateur wrestler. And what happened was a couple people saw him and referred him to Vern Gagne. And if you grew up around here watching the American Wrestling Association, that was the, the territory that was owned by Vern Gagne. And they wrestled in Milwaukee, but it was based out of Minneapolis. And so what happened is the Iron Sheik, who at the time was wrestling under his name, Kazrov Ali Vaziri, you know, went and, and trained with, with Vern Gagne in Minnesota. And he, he started off as, as a wrestler under his own name. And he was kind of like a, a good guy wrestler. And he wrestled around here, you know, when he started off in the American Wrestling Association. And then he went to a couple different territories. But ultimately what happened is um, the WWE, E, which used to be called the World Wrestling Federation, WWF, they, they, they brought him back and created – this was, of course, it was all around the time when you, you had the Iranian hostage crisis, you know, that the end of the Jimmy Carter years where the, the, Shah, the Shah of Iran had been deposed and the Iranian government, you know, took all the, the hostages and held them. And so you, you had all this tension that was going on with um, Iran and they created him as this, this bad guy, you know, Iranian who would come out and talk about how I spit on America, et cetera, et cetera. And the crowds just despised him because he, he was the, the ultimate cartoon character. Speaking of cartoons, when the WWF, like they had Saturday morning cartoons, he was always the, the lead bad guy. And they, they brought him back. They had him win the championship. And then they had him drop the championship to Hulk Hogan, I think like in 1983, when Hulk Hogan was first getting his, his big, big push. And but he, he hung around. He continued to, you know, wrestle as the bad guy. And then when the anti-Iran thing was sort of wearing thin, what they did is they they brought in a guy. The character was named Nikolai Volkov, who was going to be who was the character he was portraying was this evil Russian. And they teamed him with the Iron Sheik. And so this is at the height of the Cold War. So you've got the evil Russian, you've got the evil Iranian, and they just. It, people hated him. It was just great box office. And um, the Iron Sheik, you know, went on and um, ended up um, – uh, the, the later life wasn't necessarily that good to him. If you watch these biographies and stuff, he developed, as many of these wrestlers do, he developed a, a drug problem based in part on the injuries and things like that and financial problems and things as well. But it was just a, a really interesting 
an interesting guy, an interesting career. And in, in many cases, if you look at a lot of these wrestlers who were big in the 60s and 70s and 80s, they, they don't, whatever, whether it's the, the toll that wrestling takes on the body or the fact that, you know, they, they end up with alcohol problems or drug problems, a lot of them don't make it that long. And the Iron Sheik lived till 81. So I'm um, passed away. Sail on. All right. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. And we have all sorts of ways, by the way, to, to contact us. And it's not just, you know, the, the Twitter accounts, but you can listen to our podcasts. You can access those anywhere you get your podcasts. And as I always remind people, now if you want to watch us do the show, we've got cameras in the studio. You can watch us on YouTube and always can tell how many people are doing that. And then we post the shows on YouTube afterwards. So you can go back and watch them just like you can listen to them in the podcasts. Anyhow, I am curious as to how you feel about this story. As a matter of fact, I, I sent a notation of this out on, on Twitter with, with a, a link to this. It involves, it involves a department store. It involves Lululemon. Does everybody know what Lululemon is? I mean, Lululemon is kind of one of these, these really hip and trendy kind of clothing stores. And this story comes from the Atlanta, their Atlanta location. And if you follow me, I have, a, I have a, a link to the video on this. What happens is there's two there's a, it's a, it's a retail store, right? And there's a video. We don't know who took the video, whether it was taken by a, a customer or whether it was taken by one of the employees. But what happens is the store is open. You see these two, they look to me like teenagers or people in their young 20s wearing like ski masks and, and hoodies. They come running into the store and they start, I am not kidding, looting the store. They just start grabbing as much crap as they can and filling their arms with it and running and, and, and running through the store, grabbing as much stuff as they can. This is not this is not subtle shoplifting. This is not hey I'm 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 slipping some clothing you know under my shirt or into my purse or into my coat pocket. This is these these two people these masks these people with the hoodies. They're stealing as much stuff as they can carry. There are two employees in the store who confront them, and you can see what, what they do. There's one woman who starts yelling at him, no, 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 you can march back out. <laughs> She's yelling at these, they, they, look like, they look like they're kids, the teenagers, and they're stealing this stuff, and this woman who is one of the employees, and another, they're yelling at these kids, no, stop doing this, this isn't right, get out, get right out the door. Okay, that that's what they do. So the kids, after the teenagers, whatever, after they've they've grabbed as much stuff as they possibly can, they run out the door. The two employees go out after them, and they don't they don't chase them to the parking lot, but they go out of the outside the door, and they're still yelling at them, "Get out of here!" You know, etc. Et like that. So it's not a physical confrontation. It's not a fist fight. It's just they're they're yelling at them, kind of like. I don't know, kind of like if you were ever, you know, can you imagine your mom scolding you or somebody? It was just one of those things. Stop it. Don't do that. Get out of here. Get out of here right now. You know, that's that's kind of the tone that they take. All right. They then call the police. Okay. These two women have been fired by Lululemon. And the CEO of Lululemon, his name is Calvin McDonald has doubled down on his decision to fire the two employees. She says, he says, look, 
He says, here, here is the deal. Um, we, we didn't fire him for calling the police, but we have a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to shoplifting. And our zero-tolerance policy says you are not in any way, shape, or form supposed to physically engage with people who are stealing stuff from the, the store. She said, they say this is our non-intervention policy, and we say it's primarily for the safety of employees. They say it's only merchandise. So the, the argument is they should just have stood there and let these punks loot the store. And the CEO is saying, yep, that is our policy. We're standing by this decision to fire them because they should not have confronted. They shouldn't have said, stop doing this. They should have just stood by and watched them steal stuff in the store. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. If you want to wonder, first of all, why stores are closing, it's because of stuff like this. Secondly, I understand a policy that says, hey, we don't want employees, you know, getting getting into fights or struggling with some of these people because they might pull out a gun and shoot the employee. So I understand all that. But it seems to me if you've got a store that employees, and in this case, like I say, it's not a physical confrontation in the fact that they're not trying to physically restrain them, but you've got a couple ladies out there who are just they're fed up with this. You've got these punks that are coming and stealing stuff, and they're saying, don't you do that. Stop doing that. Put that back. March yourself right back out of the store. And they have now been fired. 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. If you haven't figured out how I feel about this, my response is shame on Lululemon. I understand in a case like this, I understand what the policy is, understand why they have it. It would seem to me that you might... What do you do in a case like this? You remind the employees, hey, you know, we, we have a non-confrontation policy. If this ever happens again, just let them steal the stuff. But to fire them without severance because they tried to protect your store and they tried to chase off the shoplifters is, in my opinion, nothing short of shameful. Lululemon and the CEO, I think, are a disgrace. And if you wonder why bad stuff happens and you wonder why criminals feel um, so entitled, it's because, in my opinion, of stuff like this. I understand they violated the policy. They should have been warned. Hey, just just don't do this again. And then they probably should have been, in my opinion, given a bonus for trying to help the store. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. If you watch this video, it's amazing. You have these punks with, you know, the hoodies on. They come running in, and they're just they're, they're going shelf by shelf, just grabbing as much of this high-end stuff as they can carry. So you got these two employees at Lululemon who, who they, they, I guess you can say they confront them. It's not like they physically try to restrain them, but they're yelling at them. They're, they're like, it's like moms who are yelling at misbehaving kids, get out of here, stop doing that, you go away right now. They have been fired for doing that because the Lululemon corporate policy says you're you're not supposed to confront these people at all. Now, I understand why you have the policy because, again, you don't want employees being hurt. But these employees are trying to protect your stuff. Yes, you could have warned them. And yes, you should have probably given them a bonus. Instead, Lululemon has fired them. And the CEO of Lululemon has doubled down. His name is Calvin McDonald. He says, yeah, it's just stuff. 
To me, that is green lighting stealing from Lululemon. You got employees who are trying to do the right thing, and this is what you get. Jim in Bayview. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello there. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking the call here. Well, regardless of the store policy, I think their natural instinct was just to act and try to say, hey, you know, don't. Don't be stealing from us, and yeah. like I said, save the save the merchandise. But other than that, if I was a store owner or a business owner, I would want to find out the names of these two people, and I would hire them immediately to work for me because they have the right way of thinking. You know, they're protecting the business. Well, ab- absolutely. No, I'm, I'm thanks. For, I mean, I, and you hope that they get hired like like right away and you hope they turn around if they feel like it and sue the pants off of Lululemon. You know, one of our texters makes a, a good point. It says that, Jeff, they didn't physically restrain them. They, they, the operative word is, is verbally. I mean, seriously, what are, what are these companies? What is a company like Lululemon saying when you have people who come in and just brazenly steal everything, you're, you're now telling the employees you, you can't even tell them not to do it? That, that's what it's come to with some of these in, in corporate America now where you're so afraid of all this stuff that you're just supposed to stand by and watch you know, people loot your store without even telling them, hey, don't do that. Get out of here. That's really the standard that you want to set? Well, okay, that, that's, then you wonder why Lululemon you know, has trouble and has to close stores because of this. It's like a green light saying, shoplifters, come here, loot out of this. I get it if you if one of these women had pulled a gun and gotten into a shootout with one of these these punks that are doing it that might be a different story but that's not what happened here and and Lululemon's policy to me is very screwed up but more importantly the application of this policy to these employees I think is grossly unfair let's talk to Janet in Kenosha Janet you're on WTMJ Hi there. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'd just like to make a comment that um, I work at a very popular, well-known retail store, and um, I also have an experience where I haven't said anything when we have come in, but I also have been told that our policy is to not say anything, that I should contact a manager. Well, by the time I contact a manager, they already came into the store, stuffed their bags full, and already left. Yeah. So there's just, it's ridiculous that this is happening. And I also think that the reputation of the store is now, hey, let's go here because it's really easy to steal. So they're shopping. It's not shopping anymore. It's stealing, and they plan it out. Well, well, it, exactly. You get these places that are targeted, and look, and, and I, I understand, Janet, the, the the corporate thinking that you know we don't, they don't want you getting shot by you know by you getting or getting hurt in a physical struggle or hurting one of the would be thieves who turns around and, and sues. But it, it, there's got to be a happy medium in there to tell employees when you see somebody committing a crime right in front of you that you're not allowed to confront them or say, "Hey, stop that!" or "What are you?" Doing? doing with that or put that down that that to me it's just crazy i mean it, it's that, that's not like saying don't go tackle them i understand why they might tell you not to do that but boy it, it's just a green light to come into your store and steal colors of where there's you know all this stealing going on but we have no security guards i mean maybe they should think about having a security guard come 
on these weekends or the times where, you know, maybe there's all this high theft rather than looking at us at, you know, trying to solve the answer to this because there's no way we can. Right. But that's our policy, too, well, not to intervene, not to say anything, contact a manager. Well, they're gone and out the store already. Right, now, thank, right. And, and everybody and everybody knows that. The thieves all know that. Thanks for the call, Janet. One of our texters says, why don't they just keep the doors unlocked even after the store is closed? Well, that that's exactly right. Come on in. Looters, looters, welcome. And and. Going circling back, I appreciate why you have this policy and you don't want people to get hurt and things like that, but you have to have some common sense in applying this particular policy. And I think it's an interesting thing that you're now instructing employees. You just, you're just supposed to look the other way, essentially. You see all this this looting that's going on. Well, just watch it happen. Watch the punks take all the stuff. And then you can call the cops. And then, you know, they'll show up, you know, 45 minutes later or an hour later because it's just shoplifting after all. Uh, boy, if this is the way corporate America operates, corporate America deserves all the problems it's having. Like I say, if I was in charge here, I would have said to the employees, let me just remind you of the policy, but thanks for looking out, and you're going to find an extra couple hundred bucks in your paycheck this week. But that's, of course, not how woke corporate America operates. Okay, if you're wondering what's going on, that is the entrance music for the late Iron Sheik. You know, that's... Uh, and his, his tag team partner, Nikolai Volkov, used to, used to sing what they would say was the Russian National Anthem. You know, he'd be in the room and in the, in the ring, and he'd sing. It wasn't the Russian National Anthem. Nobody knew what the guy was singing. It, it had nothing to do with the Russian National Anthem, but you told the wrestling crowd, everybody was booing and going crazy. Sail on, Iron Sheik. You know, the Iron Sheik was also, before he came to the United States, he was the bodyguard for the former Shah of Iran. I did not he, know he that. He worked for a few years, you know, before the Shah of Iran was, was of course, deposed. But he, yeah, he was, that's... He was he was an Olympic wrestler, which was big deal in Iran, and then he worked for several years as the bodyguard of the Shah of Iran, and then I think got out before <laughs> before things all went to you know where. What a colorful life he lived! A- absolutely. Okay, I have a question for you. Sure. Um, if somebody, if you are like in a store or something, and somebody calls you ma'am, are are you are you offended? Are you upset by that? Thank you, ma'am. You know, are you? How do you feel about that? I'm charmed. You are charmed. I am. Okay. It's it's respect. I'd like to be miss. Oh, well, I'm not, but I'm, I'm way past my miss years. Oh, okay. All right. So so ma'am doesn't bother you? No. All right. Then let me ask you the, the next question. Mm-hmm. If someone were to say to you, miss, um, ex, ex, excuse me, miss, you know, you're next in line or, you know, what, what would you like, miss? Or can I help you out, miss? If somebody says miss to you, are you offended by that? I am not. Because, you are not? No, I am. I am not. All right. Well, that's where we're going to pick up the show in just a minute because the term is cultural misogyny. And we'll find out if you agree with Taylor Swift or you agree with Sandy Max. Stick around. <laughs> I want to share we a number of texts come in during the breaks and stuff, and we were talking about this, this in my opinion, idiotic policy that Lululemon has. Not a, I mean, I understand the policy. You don't want you don't want your your employees, your your retail clerks who are not trained. You don't want them engaging in wrestling with shoplifters or things like that. But 
But what happened, of course, the story we're talking about in Atlanta is you had a couple of these female employees who were they were just yelling. They they they, they were verbally engaging. Stop that! Stop stealing! Get out of this store! And they have been fired for that. And I just think that's that's just wrong, <laughs> just wrong. But here's a text I want to share with you, uh, Jeff. I work in law enforcement in the Metro Milwaukee suburbs. We have a mall that is close to abandoned now, but still on life support. This mall once had a store that was a popular women's undergarment and clothing store. The store not only wouldn't stop thefts from occurring, but even if we'd come across someone with bags of unpaid merchandise, they wouldn't prosecute. The thieves caught on. The store is no more. Still around nationally, but not this one. Good luck with that Lululemon. Um, um, and and then they said, no, there's one of us further down the street. It's going to get busy for us, I think, or or maybe not. That's There was, to, to the to point of the texters, there uh, was a, is, a shopping center in this this in our metro area, and I, I don't I'm not going to name it because I don't know if this is still the policy. But a number of years ago, the policy was that stores were encouraged not to report shoplifting. You might say, Jeff, why would stores be encouraged not to report shoplifting? Because if you call the police and say, okay, we we've just had you know we we've just been robbed or there's been a shoplifting incident, the police come out and they fill out a police report that then becomes a public record. So the concern was and this the stores are getting ripped off right and left. But the idea it's kind of like the emperor's new clothes. Let's 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 not tell people because if we tell people the extent of the problem they might be reluctant to come and shop because if they know that there's as much theft going on. So the action was, okay, we're going to encourage the stores not to report shoplifting because, I, again, we, we don't want to get the impression that there's as many shoplifters that, as there are. Okay, well, I, good luck with that. I mean, but that's the way that some of these stupid stores think, and I'm sympathetic to this. I just think you don't end these problems by not holding people accountable. And you don't, you got to catch the shoplifters and then you've got to prosecute them. I, I get that. That's, you know, that's the story that you talk about and, you know, being chismed if you're in Milwaukee County where the DA's office just doesn't go after people for, you know, retail theft. But you, you get the idea. The stores were encouraged, this case by the owner of the mall, not to report this because we don't want people to know what's really going on. Okay. A number of uh, time flies. A few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, I, I was telling you about this story where people were upset with the term ma'am. Women were saying, okay, don't 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 call us ma'am because we we don't like that. Well, I've got a story that comes now this comes from from Great Britain, but it it's relevant here because it's the same sort of theory. UK school, and I've got a link to this if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. United Kingdom school bans the use of sir or miss in a fight against cultural misogyny inspired by Taylor Swift. Now, we all know who Taylor Swift is. She was just in Chicago for three shows. And I, I, I by the way, I like Taylor Swift's music. So th- this isn't a knock on Taylor Swift. But here's the story. A leading UK school has banned pupils from addressing staff as sir or miss, calling it a battle against cultural misogyny inspired by the sage of the principal, Taylor Swift. Um, This is the policy, saying it's part of a wider reset that couldn't be left to old men to fix. 
We are changing the way that staff, that students refer to staff. No longer will it be acceptable to call us sir or miss, the principal says, noting the inspiration of Taylor Swift singing the song, Blank the Patriarchy. The principal calls the two titles deeply unequal because miss is how you refer to a small girl. Um... I don't think you are actively being women-hating when you call Miss over to get your help with your chemistry, but we're all feeding into a worldview that diminishes women. So this would be the example of that. You're you're in study hall, and you you need help on a problem, and the the instructor is male. And you would say, excuse me, sir, which is used as a term of respect, excuse me, sir, could you come help me with my chemistry problem? Similarly, for years and years and years, that's been how students refer to the, the female teachers it is miss. It's either sir or miss. That would be the, the contrast. So now they're saying don't call people miss because that would be offensive to the, the women because it's different from, from sir. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, obviously, context matters. If the conversation that you're having with, I don't know, a 30-something-year-old female and you disagree with something that she's saying and you say, look, little missy, I understand how that would be offensive. I get that. But in the context of, excuse me, sir— Excuse me, ma'am. Excuse me, miss. Can you help me out? All right. Do we need to ban those terms? Is that really cultural misogyny or is this just, I don't know, the historical show of respect? 855-616-1620. And would you be offended, particularly for you know those of you who are female out there listening to this, in again, in the context? I'm not talking about, hey, little missy, you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, excuse me, miss, could you help me with this? 855-616-1620. Do we need to ban the word miss from our vocabulary? We discuss in just a moment. To give you some perspective on the history of this, you might think back on the... Um, the, the movie in the late 60s, uh, The Prime of Miss Jean Brody, um, which um, starred Maggie Smith. It, it's, it's a classic, and it's based on a book from about 10 years before that. But it, it focuses on, uh, again, a, a Scottish teacher. And, and the way she's referred to at this all-girls school is that they call her, you know, Miss. That's, excuse me, Miss, can you help us, what, whatever. That's, that's sort of the, the history of this in at least in the British schools, it's been you'd refer to the men as "thank you, sir," and you'd refer to the the women as, as "miss." I, I don't know if they were married. Then would you call them "misses" or whatever? But that that was it. Well, now you got the school in England saying we're doing away with this because we don't think there's a comparable. We think "miss" is essentially a derogatory term towards women. Now, one of our texters says, "Jeff, I'm a 31 year old woman. I'd rather be called Miss than Ma'am. Ma'am makes me feel old." Let's talk to Nikki in Rockford. Hi, Nikki. You're on WTMJ. Hi, guys. This is really interesting because I'm actually in the middle of this uh, discussion slash argument at work right now. Um, I I dislike being called Miss. I'm I'm in my fifties. I've been married for thirty years, and you know, originally the the term Miss uh, re- uh, is representative of a young woman who's mm-hmm. not married. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm neither one of those things. 
And and I think that it was over the years absolutely used as a way to uh, to push women down a little bit, especially when they are well educated, have a professional uh, degree and occupation and outlook in life. They've been married for a considerable amount of time. Um, how do you, Dicky? How do you feel about ma'am? How do you feel about ma'am? Ma'am, I'm good with. Okay. I, so my understanding, you know, having grown up in New Zealand was was more of an English type culture. Ma'am reflected a woman that was older and had uh, some wisdom and education and therefore reflected that. But you know, I also grew up with a lot of teachers in my life and. Uh, the ones that weren't married and young and that were out of out of school were missed. Mm-hmm. They weren't married and they were young. And those that were older were ma'am or misses. Got it. Hey, do do, so do I, a lot of people call me? I, you know, do a lot of people like call you miss? I, I just I I don't hear that term used a lot nowadays. Uh, to me, to me, yeah. it's either sir or ma'am. You, do you get do you get miss a lot even in in your early fifties? Because when I first immigrated to America, I moved to Texas, and everybody called me ma'am. Yeah. Um, and it's just even in the last five years or so that this term miss has been becoming more and more common. Um, I frequently get called Miss Nikki. Right. Um, and right now I'm being called Miss Bennett at work. And um, I... Miss Nikki makes me even more uncomfortable because they don't have a personal relationship with me. So for a stranger to call me Miss Nikki, I, I find very childish and demeaning. Interesting. Thanks for calling me, Nikki. I'll give you the, the, the contrast to that. Okay, so regular listeners know we've got a—my uh, wife and I have a second place in Florida. And in, in the South—and this is kind of a regional thing—when we will have— when we will have workers that come over, whether it's the people that are going to put in the new air conditioning, whatever, you know, the new air conditioning system, or look at the doors, or to do any of this, it, everybody, and we, we talk about this, they refer to the, the women, my wife is Miss Fran, and, and it's just, it, that's, just, that's just it. it. And it doesn't matter the, the age, it's just it's this kind of cultural thing, and you know, you'll say, you can just call me Fran, but that's how they, they do it. And I'm not, it's younger guys, it's older guys, it's just... I think it, it's the way a lot of people must have been raised because it's 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 Miss Fran, yes, Miss Fran, or I, you know, I or they'll be talking to me. Well, I called Miss Fran up the other day, and I, I told her we were coming over, and and it's not it's not just one worker; it, it's all these different contractors. That's that's the term that is used, and that's how they re- refer to you know women, and it, it's not meant in any sort of demeaning form at all. It's actually, I think. I think Fran would feel the same way. It's it's kind of cute in in a way. It's just it it is a it's a kind of a cultural thing that I think you know about how people were raised in. You know you you refer to to people as you know you know Miss and and I, I was thinking back when I was a kid. You know, growing up, my parents' friends. Oh, this is you know this this is this is Miss Harriet. You know, that's how I I would refer to him. That's how I was taught. And you know, later on, I, I would run into the same woman. I'd say, Miss Harriet. And everybody would like and say, that's so clever at the cleat. But it's just how I, I grew up, you know, doing that. It's just referring to that. So I, I, I don't know. Do, do you need a rule that says you have to ban this term? And I guess that's my, that's my point. If you have an individual person 
uh, somebody, for example, it's in a workplace and somebody like our, our last caller, Nikki, who is, was originally from New Zealand, who feels uncomfortable with it and doesn't like it. Well, I, I think that's that's fair. You can tell your coworkers, hey, don't refer to me like this um, because I it, it bothers me. I don't think the vast majority of people, though, are bothered by it. And I don't think that you necessarily need a rule to that. My funny story about Sir, and I've told this once or twice before, so bear with me if you've heard it. There, for all men... There is this point in our life, and it's a narrow point in our lives, and it comes, I, I don't know if it comes in your 30s or wherever, this narrow window where you feel that you are attractive to younger women and you are also attractive to their moms. You know, it, it's just kind of that, that sweet spot, I don't know where it is, where you might be attractive to the, the 25-year-old and you might also be attractive to the 45-year-old. Okay, this is just the way men think, Okay. Now, I, I knew that I was past that window. How do you know when you are past that window? I'm, I'm in Las Vegas one time, and I'm in this kind of crowded nightclub, wherever, which it must have been a long time ago, so I don't go to crowded nightclubs anymore. But this sweet young thing, you know, somebody in her mid to late 20s, kind of walks over to the table. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, you know, maybe she wants to strike up a conversation with me. And she looks at me, and she says, excuse me, sir. But the way she says, sir, it might have just been well saying, excuse me, grandpa. She said, excuse me, sir, could, could I have that? Are you using that chair? I, I'd like my boyfriend needs to sit down. You know, and it's like you want to talk about complete and total devastation. You know, I mean, sir, like I say, might have been grandpa. Now I am very, very, I don't know when I became a sir, but I'm very, very comfortable with it. And somebody says, you know, excuse me, sir, or sir, you dropped this, or can I help you, sir? I, I don't, I, I take it as... I don't know, just kind of a, a gesture of respect, and I'd rather have be called that than, you know, some of the things that people call nowadays. So, miss, ma'am, missus, sir, you know, just don't call me late for dinner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Sandy, you have to do me a favor and run out and see who these people are. That they, big group of... Uh, we, we're just, it, you know, we, we, of course, broadcast live from our, our studios, like the big voice guy says in the avenue. And, and occasionally there'll be people who, like, wander by. And so we just, there, there must have been 50 people. At there, least. There must have been 50 people. At so. least 50, and 50 nice people. Ab- Almost every one of them a- waved. A- absolutely. <laughs> so you you got to go, if, if you do me a favor, just to run out there, because I, I, otherwise I would ask uh, Charlie to do it, but he's got to do this thing like answering phones and See producing the call. Thank you. I appreciate it. Research curi- for you. I am curious as to where these large group of nice people came from, because it's one of the, I think it's the largest group that we ever, I saw like walk by. Interesting. Um, if you're down at the Avenue, come by. We have this studio that overlooks the food hall. Um, by the way, if you want to see exactly how we do business, um, you, you can, in addition to listening to us, you can check us out on, we've got our own YouTube channel. Matter of fact, it's got a note from a listener in Joliet, Illinois. Hi, Jeff. I'm from Joliet. Love your show. And my wife and I try to listen most days. Love your perspective, your humor, and your choice of topics. Thank you. Didn't know I could view your show on YouTube, but I do now. Yeah, it's up on, we've got our own YouTube channel, so you can watch us as we stream it. And of course, listen live and you can check out the podcasts and all that stuff. We are, we are around. Okay. I, I just, this is a downer story that underscores some of the frustrations that I have on a regular basis. But I want to save it for the 2 o'clock hour because there's just other things I want to talk about. But here, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to this video, which appeared – Channel 12 had this, and, and they've got the video of this. And just like 
So many of these other videos, like the one we were talking about in the last hour, where you have the the shoplifters that are going in. I'm calling them looters. They're just looting the place, and the employees get fired for telling them to stop looting the place. How nuts is that? This is a story about what happened uh, two nights ago at, at the Sitco Food Mart near 76th and Mill Road. Now, this kind of hits home for a minute because I grew up in Glendale, right? I, I grew up in Glendale, and... We used to, there used to be a theater on on Mill Road that was just a little bit, they called it the Mill Road Theater, and it was um, on, I guess, on, on Mill Road. It was just south of, south of Good Hope on 76th Street. We used to go to, to that area. So I'm, I am, I'm familiar with this area, and I actually, I mean, I have a picture of my mind of this particular gas station. So it's a Sitco food mart near 76th and Mill Road. And if you look at this video, it just, you just shake your head about this. 11 o'clock Monday night. Um, what they have is they've got surveillance video, and this was on Channel 12, that shows a white SUV pull up outside the food mart around 11 o'clock. Okay. So white SUV pulls up. A person in a white hoodie walks up to the SUV and talks to the people inside. Okay? Couple minutes later, three others wearing black hoodies come around the corner of the building and go into the food mart. So you got this pictured out, you've got the you've got the one car that's out there, then you've got the three other guys that go into the food mart. Seconds later, shots ring out from the white SUV towards the group of people. So people outside in this SUV start shooting into the food mart. You know, after these three guys have just gone in, uh, the Channel 12 story says Food Mart employee Ahmad Athar was inside the store when the shooting happened. Surveillance footage shows Athar and customers hitting the floor as the gunfire shattered windows and doors. Um, the clerk says the shooting happened so quick, less than 10 to 15 seconds. The three people in black hoodies. So these are the ones that are in the store that are being shot at by the people in the van. Get to their feet after the shooting. Surveillance footage shows all three of these guys holding what appear to be guns, two of them returning gunfire towards the white SUV as it peeled away. Um, the video doesn't show whether the two groups had any interaction before the shooting. One guy, one gal, she's outside pumping gas when the shots rang out. She said, this, I come here, uh, nothing's happened like this before. Police say that a 17-year-old boy who was one of the people involved in this arrived at a local hospital by a private vehicle where he's now in serious condition. So a 17-year-old is shot. Presumably the 17-year-old is one of the, the people in these, these these various gangs. But, I mean, I've described this community as saying you'd call it the Wild West, but that would be an insult to the Wild Wild West. Um, it, it seems like yet another gun battle has broken out between – I assume rival wannabe teenage gangsters. The the one that was shot was 17. Uh, so you, you have people in a car that decide that they're going to open fire into a, a Sitco food mart at 11 o'clock at night after they watch three people walk in. The three people that have walked in, they are, at least two of them, armed to the teeth themselves. So they pull out guns and they start returning fire. And, and you've got this gun battle that's broken out on 76th and Mill Road at, at a store. 
Now, my note when I, when I put this up on Twitter was, you know, when every business in certain areas closed down, it's not going to be too hard to figure out the reason why. I mean, how how can you have businesses that operate when you've got this sort of stuff, for want of a better word, that is going on on a regular basis? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. We hear so much about you know, areas that, that want to have nice things, and we want to have gas stations, and we want to have grocery stores, and we want to have all this stuff. Well, th- this is why you can't have these businesses, because at 11 o'clock at night on a Monday night, you get a bunch of, again, I'm presuming it's going to be a bunch of rival, you know, wannabe teenage gangsters who just have the impulse control of fruit flies who aren't concerned at all about consequences and decide we're going to, I don't know, do a, a godfather on the causeway scene, and we don't care if there's other people in the store that get hit or killed or whatever. 855-616-1620. There's so many different aspects of the story that we can talk about. For, but for me, at least the first thing was, you know, if you're a business person, why why in the world are you operating, you know, a store in this particular area? How can you find people to work there? Want to bet that clerk ever wants to go back to that store? How are you finding people that will shop in a place that can suddenly become, in a matter of 15 seconds, a shooting gallery? And and yet we've done nothing to stop this. We have Peace Week. The message doesn't get out. We have elected officials who say, well, we need more gun control or whatever. Well, no, what we need to do is teach these wannabe gangsters that there are consequences for getting involved in a shooting war outside a convenience store at 11 o'clock at night. But in the interim, can you fault any business if they decide we just don't want to operate here anymore? 855-616-1620. Like I say, years and years ago, I used to hang out in that neighborhood, and it would never have occurred to me that you were going to have a gun battle break out at a Sitco gas station. We discuss in a moment. Jeff, I remember the Mill Road Theaters well. I grew up on 76th Street. It was the first multi-screen theater in the city. Where is Ashanti Hamilton? Crickets. So many businesses along that way have shuttered due to crime and disorder. Walmart won't do business any longer, just a short distance away. Welcome to the Northwest Side, a retail and food desert. City officials absolutely refuse to do their jobs, and now they want sales tax authority. Um, it's a shame and a joke the way the city is run. Well, look, I, I, you, you hear about this. Well, you know, we don't have this type of business. We don't have that type of business. Uh, is it any wonder? I mean, you look at the video of this. It's it's 76th and Mill Road, which is again not that far from 76th and Good Hope, which is a major major thoroughfare. It's 11 o'clock at night, and you have what strikes me as being two gangs getting involved in a a shootout, where one of them just opens up firing shots into this Sitco uh, food pantry that, by the way, there's all sorts of other people besides the gang members or the, the individuals. I'm assuming it's a gang, but, you know, the whoever the people in the white SUV are shooting at, they're inside. There's other people that are shooting at that are there. You've got everybody hitting the floor. You've got some of the people that are shot at, um, some of the gangsters. They pull out guns. They run out, start shooting. You've got people filling up their cars that are hitting the ground. It's, this is just not the way civilized people are expected to live, period. 
It's just not. And it's not. Unfortunately, this is what is becoming the normal out there. And we, we've got to get a handle on it. One of our texters says, well, this is the problem with the city of Washington, with the communities of Washington guns. Stop. I, look, if I, I understand that there are too many guns in the wrong hands, I, I get it. And I, to the extent that we can get those guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them or, or don't don't use them responsibly. I'm all in favor of it. That's why I always say it starts with saying, okay, like felons in possession, you know, once you catch them with felon in possession, why don't we send them to prison for five years? Why don't we put this message there? But, but it's, it's not the awash in guns. It's not the gun itself that, you know, jumps out and starts magically shooting at these people. You've got the bad guys that are there. You've got the gangsters. You've got the gangbangers. You've got the criminals who think nothing of shooting into a Sitco pet, you know, a Sitco food mart at eleven o'clock at night on Seventy Sixth and Mill Road, trying to kill anybody who might be in that store? And then, of course, some of the people who are in the store they think nothing about pulling out their pieces and chasing people down and trying to shoot the people that are shooting at them. But it's it is it's like the wild wild west, except it happens not at high noon. It happens twenty four. Seven. Um, you know, the, the bottom line here is, you know, this is this is why businesses won't operate there. This is why businesses close until you get a handle on criminal activity. You're not going to get any sort of substantial investment. One of our texters says, Jeff, the city is the last entity to implement meaningful action to curb crime. But the city is the first to criticize private businesses for moving out of certain areas because of crime. Um, Well, yeah, I I think there's, you know, a a good point of of that. Uh, One of our texters says chances are they were not using assault rifles. I don't think so. I think this was these these were handguns. But again, it's the the, the problem. Yes. Are there too many guns that are out there that get into the hands of of the the would be gangsters and and the criminals? Absolutely. And to the extent you can make it more difficult for them to get guns, I'm all in favor of that. But let's understand the fundamental problem. We have lots of bad people that are out there. We have lots of irresponsible people that are out there who are willing to, in this case, I mean, I don't know if it was an ambush. I don't know if it was a planned thing. Don't know. All I know is that you get at 11 o'clock at night, you get a gas station that shot up. One person is in the hospital in serious condition, a 17-year-old, but it's but for the grace of God that we're not looking at another mass murder situation. Um, No question. Jeff, we moved from Kenosha to Red Granite back in 95 because of crime. I can't believe how bad it has gotten since then. I've talked to more and more people that moved um, up by us from Milwaukee that have said how bad it is, and they just had to get out for their own safety. If this continues to happen, how bad is it going to get up here by us? You kind of, um, you know, wonder, you know, how that employee is going to deal with it. I would be shocked if that employee comes back to work. I would be shocked if the people that own that decide that they want to reopen because if you can't guarantee that your employees and your customers aren't going to be find themselves in the middle of a high noon shootout at 11 o'clock at night, how can you expect people to go patronize, you know, that 
that how can you pay expect people to go patronize you know that particular place or any of those places in the area so for so many parts of the city if people wonder well gee why don't we have this type of store or why don't we have that type of store or why don't have we have that type of store that the simple fact of the matter is crime makes it impossible for these businesses to operate so what's the solution let's get a handle on crime and when we catch the people that do this, let's send them to prison. Let's send them to prison for a long time. And yes, maybe that means we're going to have to lock up a generation of people, but we'll all be better because of it if we do it. Because what we're doing now isn't working. Just ask all the people caught in the crossfire last Monday night. We have solved... The mystery of the large group of people who were outside our windows a couple um, moments ago. Sandy Max went out, did some reporting, talked to. It's a group of uh, group of folks from Fond du Lac who had come down. They do apparently a few times a year. They do mystery trips. Presumably, don't know where they're going. So this large group. Of, did you see them? Why this large group of people that were wandering out here? No, I, I did not. Okay, you missed it. Well, we had it was it was, was about fifty, sixty people. Yeah, you got, the, like, you got the bigger windows, Jeff. Right, so. I got fifty or sixty people wandering by. Everybody was waving. They were smiling. They were taking pictures. Anyways, group of people on a mystery trip. They take a few times a year. They started their day visiting a brewery. What could be more Milwaukee than that? And uh, let's see, they wanted to come. They said WTMJ has a lot of fans in the Fond du Lac area, so they wanted to come down and watch us watch us do what we do. Well, that's what the fishbowl is for. That is what the fishbowl is for here. By the way, funny you should mention that because we are going to be taking the show on the road, Wyatt, because Summerfest, which starts a couple weeks from, I think probably two weeks from tomorrow, I believe. It's it's just 20 seconds. Are you one of the headliners? Well, I'm not on the main stage, but I'm going to be the headliner in our WTMJ Roadshow or whatever we call it right now. So we'll we'll be out there doing that. I know that because I I got my parking pass for for that. That's how you know it's official. I know it's official when Kirsten comes around and gives me the parking pass. Absolutely. And then, of course, later on in the summer, we'll, we'll be at State Fair. And we've got all sorts of stuff going on in connection with that. But that's when we're truly in the fishbowl. You, have you worked here for a state fair? I was on nights last summer. Oh, you got to get out there and see it. We got. I'm, so, I'm super excited. We got. We got to get you out there for like one of the segments because it's it's just it's just an absolute blast and people stop by and see us and I I drive my producers nuts because I go out during the breaks and say hi. I mean I think if you know you're you're kind enough to stop and watch us do the show, I'd like to meet you and shake your hand, say hi and stuff. And then there'll always be Jeff. You got a live read, Jeff. You know we're coming back in thirty seconds. Jeff, where are Jeff, you? And Jeff, you work in radio, right? Exactly. But I I mean I I love to do that. So State Fair is coming up and we will have a big presence there as well. So um and also. If people want to watch us, can't can't emphasize this enough. We now live stream stuff. Got all the cameras that are up there. Why it's just waving right now? So you can check us out on our YouTube channel. But of course, you know, however you find us, we love it. And don't be hesitant. We love the fact that everybody listens and goes back and listens to the podcast and all that stuff. Okay, enough reminiscing. Enough talking about future plans. Summerfest coming up in a couple of weeks. You see what the air looks like in New York City and stuff. Yes, I remember uh, a couple years ago, uh, the skies were orange in my hometown of San Francisco. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Well, it's funny. Um, Sandy was telling me she just got back. She was on vacation. She was in Europe. She just got back. Her flight was delayed a couple hours coming in through JFK. I- I'm looking at some of the pictures now. And, of course, these are all these are all the Canadian wire- wildfires that, for for everybody who... 
for everybody who talks about like wanting to love the planet and stuff and how we need to turn down our thermostats and all these wildfires, this is an incredible, an incredibly polluting thing. And it's going to be with us for a few more days. Yeah, my my former home of Syracuse right now, the, the worst air quality in all of New York state. And right. And it's just it's just amazing to look at this. So I I mean, and, you know, so if we're wondering why, why the environment is bad right now, I was going to ask Charlie to pull this this sound clip, this song, but there, there's all sorts of bad words in the song. and I don't want him to pressure him to have to like edit it on the, on the fly because there's some words that we don't want there. But I kept thinking about South Park. Blame Canada. That's <laughs> what we do. We blame Canada, you know, because because in this case, it is Canada. It's the Canadian wildfires. The, the reason why air quality is so bad around here. Well, let's hope it gets better. It's uh, it's some tough stuff. Uh, it can be very damaging to people's health. Yeah, ab- absolutely. No, and it's it's really is. It's kind of like we talk about. Okay, we have to do do all this stuff improving air quality, which I get. But then you look at these wildfires, and I just say blame Canada. When we come back, got milk? I'll explain. We'll discuss. A couple weeks ago. I talked about this proposal that was out there that was going to it would pull chocolate milk from uh, various schools. The idea chocolate milk's not healthy, so we want to pull the chocolate milk. And, and my point, and the point of I think most people was how silly. Because what would you rather have the kids drinking? Would you rather have them drinking milk, chocolate, or otherwise, or would you rather having them, you know, slamming down a, a 32 ounce thing of Mountain Dew? And this idea that, well, you know, chocolate milk's got, uh, it's got sugar in it. We got to be worried about sugar. Well, yeah, but it's got all the other great stuff that milk has. And you would think that you'd be encouraging that. I think you can also make a strong argument if you're concerned about sugar, you're much better off having kids drinking chocolate milk than say orange juice or things like that, which are just loaded with sugar. Well, anyhow, here's something you might not have, have known. Um, since well, for a number of of years, a couple decades now, you have not been able. If you are a child, you have not. Schools have not been allowed to offer whole or two percent milk. Um, that's been the rule since two thousand twelve. If you permit, or if you permit, if you participate in like the Department of Agriculture's school program, you have not been permitted to serve either whole milk which has a 3.25% milk fat or 2% milk. These are new rules that were attended, intended to align school offerings with dietary guidelines. Um, and the, the concern is there, there's too much, I don't know, saturated fat in there. And so we, we don't want the kids to be able to drink this. Now, whole milk and 2% milk are the most commonly sold varieties of milk. So what typically happens is at home, you, you're getting whole milk or you're getting 2% milk. So the kids understand what that tastes like. Then what happens is they go to school and in the interest of public health or whatever, they're, they're served milk that they're like the, the no fat milk or the 1% or, or whatever. And they don't like it because it doesn't taste the same as the milk that they are getting at home. And so the concern is they, they don't drink it. And so the argument becomes, all right, if you really want to help the kids, you know, why, why are we 
serving things that they don't like and that they're not going to drink. And if you're concerned with the fact that, well, you know, 2% has more saturated fat than 1%, that, that's fine. But what are, what are the alternatives? If they're not drinking milk because they don't like it, what's going to end up happening is they're going to, first of all, they're not going to getting, get, be getting all the other nutrients that are in milk. And secondly, they're going to be drinking other stuff that's not anywhere near as good for them. So again, this is a bipartisan group of lawmakers and they're pushing to bring whole milk and 2% milk back to the schools, giving, again, the schools the option of what they want to serve. And presumably there'd be no requirement that, you know, you you have to drink whole milk or you have to drink 2%, but the the idea that you can only serve non-fat or 1% milk, I think the concern is that that's discouraging people from drinking milk in the first place. And wouldn't we rather have them drinking 2% milk to have them drinking, you know, something that isn't milk. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. To me, this is the classic example of government micromanagement. You know, if if you want, you, you can have all the programs you want. You can have all the guidelines you want. You can say, well, we think 1% is better than 2%. Oh, okay. You know, reasonable people can disagree about that. But if the kids don't like the 1%, in part because that's not what they're being served at home, what's the sense of having it if they're not going to drink it? 855-616-1620. Is it time to loosen the restrictions and let kids be served the type of milk that they might choose to drink? And my answer is, of course. We discuss in just a minute, 855-616-1620. And you milk drinkers out there, I, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. I mean, I grew up drinking whole milk, then we switched to 2%, and I drink almost no milk nowadays, just maybe occasionally a little bit in the coffee. But I was a milk drinker growing up and stuff, and I can I could tell I could tell a difference. And I guess I don't think there's anything wrong with allowing kids to have 2% milk. And if we've, kids have too much fat or too much sugar in their diet, it's not because they're having a carton of milk or two at school. It's all sorts of other stuff. And if it makes them more inclined to drink milk, I say go with God. 855-616-1620, we discuss. If you're just tuning in, for the last 10 years, the federal government has banned schools from serving anything other than either no fat or 1% milk. Um, And what they find is happening, though, is at home, kids are drinking whole milk, kids are drinking 2% milk. So they get to school, they notice it tastes differently, so they, they they choose not to drink the milk. Okay, well, what have you accomplished there? So this bipartisan bill would say schools can serve 2% milk, schools can serve whole milk. To me, it, it just makes sense. One of our texters says, Jeff, it's interesting that the government's getting involved in milk and what can and cannot be served. My son is a pediatrician. He recommends my grandchildren have 2% milk because he feels it's better for them for their brain health. As usual, I think the government should stay in their lane and not involve themselves in micromanaging. Let's start with Katie in Milwaukee. Katie, good afternoon. Hi, how are you doing? Good. What do you think? Good. Well, I'm a teacher in MPS, and I have lunchroom duty every single day. And <laughs> I'm sorry, this uh, image just first, came to mind. Good. God bless you, Katie. I'm sure that that's a treat. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. But um, I just had to call in because this is one of the biggest issues like I, I deal with on a daily basis, the amount of waste. So it's not just about the, the milk and whether it's 1%, 2% or whole, because the kids are offered chocolate, 1% or 1% white milk. And they all take the chocolate 
and most of it gets thrown away anyway. So they, they don't even drink that. But they do always pick the chocolate. They rarely ever pick the white. I would say maybe two yeah. kids out of the 75 that are in my cafeteria take white. And then the food on top of that, I'd say between 90 to 95 percent of the food gets thrown right into the garbage. They don't even eat that. Yeah. So, I mean, so that's what's always been frustrating me, Katie, is you you have these guidelines that are well-intentioned. And I I respect that. I get it. Mm -hmm. But but if people aren't going to it's like saying, okay, well, we're we're serving a vegetable. You know, we're we're serving broccoli or whatever that is. And so you put the broccoli on the kid's plate. And if then it goes, it just goes from the plate directly into the trash can. You, directly you, into the trash can. Yeah, we're we're not accomplishing. We're, we're not accomplish anything. We got to figure out a way. Yeah, you want it to be nutritious, but you also want it to be stuff that they they might have. So if if you if they did away with chocolate milk, I mean nobody would drink milk essentially in your school. You think? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yep. Nope. And even they get like mini bags of carrots. The mini carrots they all get individual bags. They all get thrown right into the garbage. Hundreds of bags of carrots right, <laughs> right. into the garbage. Right. Because yeah. they're not allowed to, right, because they're also, they're not allowed to share food, right? So even if you had some kid that really loved carrots and ate his or her bag, they couldn't, like, eat somebody else's bag, too, right? I think that's the rule, right? Correct. Got Correct. <laughs> and they have to take the tray of food. So whole trays of food are taken off of the the counter and they go right into the garbage can. Whole trays of food that hadn't, haven't even been opened up go right into the garbage can. Got to be frustrating. Hey, thanks for the call and thanks for the perspective. A little bit far afield, but that, that, that's why I was, I was arguing that to force chocolate milk out because it's got a little bit of sugar is just, it's just silly to, to the extent that you got kids that are getting too much sugars. It's, it's not because they're having chocolate milk at school. It's because they're, they're, they're pounding down, like I say, that, that 32 ounce thing of, you know, of, of sugary, you know, Mountain Dew, you know, after school or at lunch. But I, I look, Milk is good for you. You can argue that some milk is better than others, but milk is good. It's got all these different nutrients in it and things like that. And and if if we get more kids drinking milk because it the stuff they get at home, the two percent of the whole milk tastes better. Really, I mean, why would we not do that? Tom in Shawano. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Tom. Tom, you got to turn down your radio. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. We got it all now. Uh yeah, I have grandkids that uh, are in school yet, and uh, we serve our milk straight out of the bulk tanks. Okay. <laughs> and uh, they'll drink the milk out of our bulk tank, but they won't drink milk when they go to school. Because right, it tastes different. And I have a, yeah, and you know, and I went to a few functions where they uh, serve some of that milk that they serve in schools, and... I, I mean, I just can't even uh, stand to drink it. Yeah. Uh, and then what yeah. uh, What gets me kind of is when you go to schools and right next to the cafeteria, they'll have two or three machines selling uh, <laughs> diet, diet Mountain Dew. Yeah, no, thanks. I, I get it. And candy bars and, and things like that. I get it. Tom was a he was a he was a dairy farmer, obviously, up, up in Shawano. But look, look, sometimes we just don't see. What's the cliche? The forest for the trees. Oh, we want people drinking more nutritious milk, and, and one we believe 1% is better. I don't even want to get into the debate about 1% is better than 2% or whole milk. But if the kids are getting 2% at, at home, why should the government say you can't get that at school? Because you're going to be used to drinking the 2%. You're not going to like the 1%. You're not going to drink it. So how have we gained anything? And the answer is we have it. Your government at work.